0: Thank you, Darren. Thank you, ladies. great job. Good thoughts. Go ahead and get your Bible out if you would to First Chronicles chapter 16, First Chronicles chapter 16. Last Sunday evening, uh, I broke away from our, our series to uh, talk about uh, what has been called a revival down at Asbury College in Kentucky. We took a, a detailed look at what biblical revival looks like and how Biblical revival is closely linked to preaching and teaching of God's Word, to repentance, to people calling on Christ to be saved, and we, we really just compared what Scripture teaches with facts about what went on there. And as I said last week, uh, my goal is for you to be biblically literate. I want you to be able to try the spirits. I want you to be able to prove all things so that you can embrace that which is good, uh, in every age, including when the Bible was being written, there was good and bad going on in, in churches, in the world, and uh, they needed to have discernment then, and we need it today. Uh, tonight, we return to our Sunday evening series on Bible doctrine. We've talked about major doctrines at times. We've talked about minor doctrines at times, and uh, I think it's easy sometimes to recognize when something is clearly a major doctrine. and easy to recognize when something is clearly a minor doctrine, but sometimes in the middle it's a lot more difficult to uh, discern that. Uh, But I will say this, no doctrines are unimportant. Some may be minor, but there are none that are unimportant. Every doctrine, when we rightly understand it and rightly apply it, is good and adds stability and security to our Christian life, to our homes, and to the Lord's church. The word doctrine, remember, it just means teaching. And so both when we think about Bible principles and Bible doctrines, uh, it's kind of hard to tell what we might call a doctrine, what we might call a principle. And, and I just remind everybody that the label we put on something isn't anywhere near as important as putting the weight that God puts on Bible principles and Bible doctrines. And... Uh, if you are a believer with a heart for Christ, and and the likelihood is if you didn't have a heart for Christ as a believer, you wouldn't be back here uh, tonight. And and so um, the vast majority of us, we really care uh, about Bible doctrine, whether uh, God has taught us something or not. And so prior to taking that side street last Sunday night about biblical revival, the week before that, we had talked about the nation of Israel. And we began in learning about them and talking about the unconditional promises that God made to Abraham, uh, what we would call the Abrahamic covenant. And remember when Abram filled his two parts of God's request in that covenant, God obligated himself to fulfill his seven parts of that covenant. And we took the Bible promises to uh, Abraham literally, just like all the other Bible promises are fulfilled, uh, both in Bible times and in history. And uh, we repeatedly saw these three key aspects to God's unconditional promises to Abraham. Do you remember them? God first promised the land to the physical seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, an everlasting promise. God secondly promised to multiply the seed, the physical offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this also was an everlasting promise of God. Remember, to make them innumerable like the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. And we saw how God very clearly defined a seed as linked to those two aspects of the covenant with the nation of Israel. God specifically said that seed would be uh, poorly entreated, enslaved in a foreign country for 400 years and then delivered by God. And we now at this point in time obviously know that was Israel enslaved in Egypt. And then we saw the third aspect of that covenant, uh, how God promised to bless all nations through Abraham. And we learned that that aspect of the covenant, and the seed refers to the Messiah, uh, Jesus. And we know now very clearly that through the Lord Jesus Christ, God has blessed all the families of the earth because Christ died for the sins of the world. Nothing can take these unconditional promises away from Jacob's physical seed. God may add people to promises He made, but He is not going to go back on the word he had to the Jews. Uh, I know when I I teach things like I taught two weeks ago, last week had a fair amount of just inherent interest because of everything that was going on. I know when I teach things like I taught two weeks ago and tonight, that, that some of you have varying levels of interest in this, but I want you to understand that this is an important foundation to lay. Because throughout the Bible, God dealing with Israel makes a difference. And it makes a big difference in end times as we want to understand them. And that's where we're going to go next in the Sunday night series. It's very important that we understand what God promised to Israel because it not only affects what we think about the politics of what's going on today, and in particular in the Middle East, but it also affects how we take End time uh, teachings from the Bible. And so this foundation is really, really important. God promised that land to the uh, people of Israel, the nation of Israel, the physical seed, and nothing can take those promises away. Now, Israel, uh, the northern kingdom, they were kicked out of their land in 720 BC, and those 10 northern tribes have not really been back other than remnants of those tribes. The southern kingdom, was kicked out in 587 B.C., and they were allowed back after uh, some decades from their exile in Babylon and Persia to only be kicked out again in 70 A.D. by Rome. And they were kicked out for centuries until they returned in 1948. And so they're back in their land today. Uh, They're unsaved because they've rejected their Messiah. They do not have all the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are beloved for the Father's sake, but enemies of the gospel. But despite what they have done repeatedly in history, that land still belongs to them by unconditional and everlasting covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does the land belong to Israel, the physical seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, instead of Christians, the spiritual seed of Abraham through Christ. Now, now we've already seen uh, multiple unconditional Old Testament promises making this so, but there's still so much more said, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, about this issue. Uh, God confirming His covenant to Jacob when Jacob was in rebellion against God. It gives us some kind of insight into why it belongs to Israel. It never belonged to them because they were obedient. God confirming this covenant through Moses to a group of people, He described as stiff-necked Jews again, gives us some insight into why the land still belongs to them. It never belonged to them because they were a humble and obedient people. It never, ne- never. It always belonged to them because of the promises of God. And though some of you might call what I'm going to do tedious tonight, I want you to see that this whole idea that that land belongs to them is a theme throughout the entire Bible. And I want to lay a foundation for subjects if Christ tarries in the coming weeks that you will find more interesting. Uh, But this is an essential foundation. Why does the land belong to Israel, the physical seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, instead of Christians, the spiritual seed of Abraham through Christ? Uh, You should be in your Bible in 1st. Chronicles 16, uh, if you would go ahead and stand, please, in honor of God's Word. We're going to first read verse 7. It says, then on that day David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord unto Asaph, I'm sorry, into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. And so we're going to read, we're not going to read the whole thing. Uh, we're going to read a part of the psalm that the Holy Spirit inspired David to write. And in that psalm, we are going to see that God once again confirms this land belonging to the nation and the people of Israel. Notice in verse 15, he says, Be mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made with Abraham, and of his oath to Isaac, hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. What is his everlasting covenant with Israel? Saying, unto thee will I give the land of Canaan the lot of your inheritance. Thank you, you might be seated. God confirmed this covenant to Abraham. He confirmed this covenant to Isaac. He confirmed this covenant to Jacob. We saw that all last week. We saw that uh, at the beginning of the uh, Israel in the wilderness, 400 years after uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, after they had been in, in, enslaved, he confirmed that again in Exodus at the beginning of their wilderness journey. We saw last week how 40 years later when they entered, were on, on the verge of entering the land in the book of Deuteronomy, he confirmed that again and now 400 years after Moses. Through David, God makes clear that we understand that land by everlasting covenant belongs to Israel, the physical seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go ahead in your Bible to Jeremiah 25. By the way, I I know you may think, well, this doesn't matter. Why why do you bother? It matters in what we think politically. It's going to matter as we think about end time events because. We're going to be looking for some things in end-time events based on these promises that have spanned centuries. 400 years after David. Remember, David was 400 years about after Moses, and now 400 years after David, Jeremiah is going to speak again about God confirming his promise to the physical seed for the land. And Jeremiah chapter 25 in verse 3. Jeremiah 25, 3 says, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even unto this day, that is the three and twentieth year, the word of the Lord hath come unto me. And I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye have not hearkened. And the Lord has sent unto you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened, nor inclined your ear to ear. They said, the prophets said this, Turn ye again now, everyone from his evil way, and from the evil of your doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord hath given unto you and to your fathers forever and ever. Notice again, 400 years after he reminded them through David, he reminds them again through Jeremiah that that land had been given unto the people of Israel. I hate to belabor this point, but God belabors this point. I want it deeply planted in our heart that throughout the Bible, both in Old Testament and New Testament, God promises that land to the nation of Israel for. Ever. And, and by the way, if we understand and remember what we learned from Genesis two weeks ago and God reminding them in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it doesn't surprise us at all that God reminded them of the promise through David 400 years later. It doesn't surprise us at all that God reminded them through Jeremiah that the land belonged to them. But God never left them in it in disobedience and rebellion. They always got kicked out of it. You and I are supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're supposed to pray for the restoration of Israel. They're in their land today, but they are lost. They have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. But hear me when I say God has a future for that nation. These promises didn't stop in the Old Testament. New Testament principles and promises are based on these unconditional promises to Israel. Not promises to Christians, though we have some promises of our own, these are everlasting promises to the nation of Israel. Go in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We are just answering together why does the land belong to Israel, the physical seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, instead of the spiritual seed of uh, Abraham through Christ. The bottom line is God promised it to the physical seed. And no one has a right to take it away. And now, over 600 years after Jeremiah the prophet, God speaks about the three entities that were in the city of Corinth at the time when the Bible was being written. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. He says, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the gentiles nor to the church of god by the way that is a key doctrinal statement there are three groups of people in the city of corinth when paul wrote this letter to them there were unsaved jews israel lost and on their way to eternal condemnation unless they turned to christ as messiah there were unsaved gentiles lost And under the condemnation of God, just like unsaved Jews because of their rejection of Jesus, And the third group were believers in the city of Corinth. And at that time, there's just one church in Corinth. It isn't like Fairfield today or any city in America, basically with uh, multiple churches. There was one church in all of these cities at that time. And so there were unsaved Jews in the city. There were unsaved Gentiles in the city. And there was the church, believers in Jesus Christ, who were one in Christ. Uh, Go in your Bible to Galatians chapter 3 speaks about that oneness in Christ that all believers have. Galatians chapter three. Notice in... Galatians chapter 3, God makes clear to us that all believers, whether you are Jew or Gentile, whether you are uh, enslaved or not enslaved, whether you are a male or a female, we are one in Christ. We have the same access to God. Men don't have better access to God uh, as a Christian than women do. Jews who are in Christ have no better access to God than Gentiles. By the way, I don't have better access to God than you do because I'm a pastor. All of our access to God has nothing to do with our nationality, nothing to do with our gender. It has everything to do with who we were made in Christ. Notice in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, it says, for a year are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. You want to know how you get to be a child of God? Faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 27 For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Notice it's not baptized in water. Uh, It's baptized into Christ. As many as you are immersed in Christ have put on Christ. Verse 28 In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In Christ, we are the spiritual seed of Abraham. Now that doesn't mean the land is promised to us. It means we are blessed in Christ. And some of the promises that were to Abraham are to us. Men and women are on equal footing in Christ. By the way, if you know anything about the rest of the Bible, you know men and women don't have the same role from God in the home. Men and women do not have the same role from God in the church. But when it comes to our position in Christ, men and women are one in Christ. We have the same access to God, the same privileges. It's the same with uh, Jews uh, and and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, We have the same access to God in Christ. Listen, and just like God has a different role in the home and church for men and women even though we're one in Christ, God has a different future planned for Jews and Gentiles though we're one in Christ. That's important. Listen, to use this text about our standing in Christ to say that God doesn't have a different future for Israel and Gentiles is to say that there's no difference in the roles for men and women. And that doesn't make any sense. This distinction between Jews and Gentiles outside of Christ remains today. In Corinth, there were Jews. Gentiles and believers in Jesus Christ, whether they were male or female, whether they were Jew or Gentile. And people make a grave error when they take things God promised to the nation of Israel and give them to Christians. Go in your Bible, please, to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. It says this is a little deep tonight, where every once in a while we got to. We're laying a foundation. If you want a more basic message, listen to this Sunday morning's message. Listen to last Sunday morning's message. That's what I do on Sunday mornings. On Sunday nights, I feel a special responsibility as your shepherd to feed you some meat of the Word of God sometimes. Hear me when I say, though Israel has been temporarily set aside for their unbelief so God could reach out to the Gentiles. God's focus will return to Israel. You say, how do you know that? God said that specifically. Notice in Romans chapter 11 and verse 25. He says, for I would not, by by the way, before we read this, this is written 10 or 15 years after Galatians. And so, to take what God God said through Paul in Galatians as if that's the only subject on this only verse, only teaching subject—that's a terrible error. Ten or fifteen years after he said that, just to make sure we don't get confused about this Israel thing and our position and standing in Christ, and Jews and Gentiles—notice he makes clear that Israel is set aside temporarily. In verse 25 of Romans 11, he said, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. That means this was previously unrevealed. That's what the word mystery means in the Bible. This is not talked about in the Old Testament. It's not taught by Jesus. It's the revelation through the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. By the way, underline that word until in your Bible. Uh, one of the reasons that we care so much about the Bible is that every word matters in the Bible. Notice this cannot be speaking about spiritual Israel that Paul talked about 10 or 15 years earlier in the book of Galatians. Israel was blind. Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. That's a big deal. By the way, the fullness of the Gentiles is going to come in after the rapture. Verse 26. It says, and so all Israel shall be saved. Underline that word shall. <laughs> That's also obviously not the physical seed I'm sorry, the spiritual seed of Abraham, because Israel here is not saved. And all so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Listen, it's talking about them being lost and their ungodliness. This is not the spiritual seat. Uh, today. The physical seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are lost in their trespasses and sins. They are blinded temporarily because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. And today, if Jesus were to show up in what is called modern day Israel, most of the Jews there are secular Jews. And the religious Jews, the Orthodox in particular, you see them, they have these black hats, they've got Uh, They didn't mar the corners of their beard. They have that long, uh, curly thing hanging down that's from the Old Testament. I want to tell you, Jesus would be in absolute conflict with Orthodox Judaism today, just like he was in the Pharisees' version of Judaism in his day. You, You want to know what's going on in modern day Judaism? The same exact thing that was going on with the Pharisees in Jesus' day. The same exact thing. And so, in the coming weeks, as we consider end-time events, there's some things we should be looking for. We're looking for God's attention to return back to Israel when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and Israel's blindness ends. We're we're going to be looking for, when we think about end-time events, we're going to be looking for that nation of Israel to be all converted at once and Occupy all the land God unconditionally promised to them. These promises don't give people of Jewish descent eternal life. They're lost. They do not make people of Jewish descent better in Christ than Gentiles. We are equal in Christ. But they do have some special promises. And so when we think about all these promises to uh, the nation of Israel, there's some things we read in the New Testament that they don't surprise us. That They only would surprise us if we don't uh, take what God said in Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy and 1 Chronicles and in the Psalms and in Jeremiah and other places literally. That's the only way they'd surprise us. But if we take them like we've talked about them, it's no surprise for us to read things like we read in Acts 1 go there please after jesus resurrection he didn't really hang out with the disciples per se he did appear to them on occasion they were in process of learning how to be his disciples following the leadership of the holy spirit instead of being able to speak to him physically. But in that time, when he appeared to them, he did teach them uh, some things. And notice what happens in one of their times when he is with the disciples after his resurrection, before his ascension, in verse 6, he says this. When they, therefore, were come together, that's Jesus and the disciples, they ask of him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? By the way, understanding what we, we, we've learned, that doesn't surprise us. To, to understand that God has a kingdom yet for the nation of Israel, it doesn't surprise us. And they say, Lord, is now the time when you're going to do that? Notice his answer to them. He, doesn't, he says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. In other words, guys, you're right. There is a day coming when God's going to restore the kingdom of Israel, but when that happens isn't your business. You see, what we, we, what we want to know is when. They're no different from us. When is Jesus coming back? Well, when is the rapture? When, when does the tribulation start? When? God doesn't give us any whens. He, he gives us whats. And so there is a kingdom coming for Israel. Uh, by the way, God wasn't done with the physical offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they rejected their Messiah. In fact, it's predicted they would reject their Messiah. Read Isaiah 53. Lord, who hath believed are reported. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The stone which was rejected of the builders, the same has become the headstone of the corner. It It was predicted they would reject him. It's no surprise. There is a kingdom for Israel in the future. Not debatable. It was just not their business to know when. Uh, If there was ever a time for Jesus to make sure they understood, hey, listen, there's no kingdom in the future for Israel. This was the time. I mean, they asked him the question. Why why wouldn't Jesus answer that question? (laughs) There is a kingdom. It's just, guys, it's not your business to know when. And so as we study end-time events, one of the things we're looking for and expecting is a kingdom for Israel. Amen? If we understand these promises of God for Israel, the physical seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're not going to be surprised. Go back to Matthew 19. We're not going to be surprised to read this. And again, I, I, I know to some of you this is tedious, but I want you to understand, this foundation is key to understanding the political realm around us today, and it's key to understanding end-time events. If you're wrong about the nation of Israel, you're always going to be wrong about end-time events. Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. Matthew 19, verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What should we have there for? By the way, let's stop there. Let's think about this a second. Peter asked the kind of question that's pretty reasonable to ask Hey, listen, Jesus, we have given up everything. We gave up our jobs, we gave up our societal status. Our friends and our family think we're crazy. We have given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get? Verse 28, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of His glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now that doesn't surprise us at all, right? Based on these promises. See, the twelve tribes are only lost to man. They're not lost to God. God has made some promises to them. You and I as Christians, we're not the 12 tribes. I mean, we're not Gad and Asher, we're not Dan, and and we're not Levi, and and we're not Ephraim, and we're not Manasseh, and, and we're not any of those things. You maybe could argue we're in Judah because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but the Bible doesn't even refer to us specifically like that. We're not the 12 tribes. This is for Israel, and it surprises us not at all because of everything we've learned about what God has said to them. Go back in your Bible to Acts chapter 26. Because God has been so clear and repetitive about their future kingdom to Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel, it doesn't surprise us when we read that Paul said these things when he was on trial before King Agrippa. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 26 and verse 6. He says, and now... I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. Paul still considered Israel to have twelve tribes. That doesn't surprise us. God made some promises to the nation of Israel, first to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, and to his 12 sons became their 12 tribes. God made some promises that He confirmed uh, 400 years later when they first were in the wilderness through Moses. He confirmed it again uh, 38 years later in Deuteronomy before they entered the land. He confirmed it again 400 years later when David wrote a psalm. He confirmed it again 400 years after that through Jeremiah the prophet, all through the Scripture. So it doesn't surprise us when we go, go to James chapter 1. This doesn't surprise us at all. So what are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm teaching some meat of the Word. I, I, I'm setting the stage for us to be able to talk about end time events. I, I'm trying to shape our thinking when we read or see uh, in the news about Arab and Israeli conflict. Uh Israel's conflict with Iran, Israel's conflict with Iraq, Israel's conflict with everybody in the world. By the way, have you ever wondered why there's so much irrational hatred of Israel? There's a spiritual explanation. There's no reasonable physical explanation for why Israel and the Jews have been hated, literally, in every country in which they've been scattered, now for the multiple times they've been scattered. There's no reasonable explanation outside of the fact that God is not done with them. So it doesn't surprise us us when we read this. In James 1, verse 1, James, servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Not one tribe scattered abroad, all of them, all of them. Say, who are they? I don't know, I don't know. Are they the gypsies? Are they the Kurds? Kurds, K-U-R-D-S? Are the different tribes, people from Europe or people in Russia? I don't know, I'm just here to say God knows. By the way, reading that doesn't surprise us because in Galatians chapter 2, we read that it says that uh, Peter and James and John, their ministry was to the circumcision, the Jews, whereas Paul, his ministry was to the Gentile. And so when James sits back, the half-brother of Jesus, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, when he sits back and says, hey, I'm writing to the Christian Jews who are the 12 tribes scattered abroad, he believed they were there. There's something wrong with not believing they're there. We won't go there in the interest of time, but in Revelation 7, the 12 tribes are not lost to God because He, in the first half of the tribulation, He seals 12,000 of them from each of the 12 tribes to be His witnesses. So as we study end time events, we're looking for, we're expecting... A kingdom with 12 tribes. The physical seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen, the complete fulfillment of God's promises to them from the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Unconditional, forever. But the fulfillment remains to be the future. Listen, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they've been promised some land. But they've never been on it for very long, nor have they occupied it to its full extent. That's not going to happen until Christ reigns in his kingdom. The seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been greatly multiplied, but not to the degree they are going to multiply when Christ reigns in his kingdom. The nations of the world have been blessed through Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who it was said would bless all the families of the earth. And because of that seed, the third key aspect of the covenant, it is the Lord Jesus who is a blessing to anyone and everyone, whether they are male or female, whether they are bond or free, whether they are Jew or Greek. It is that blessing in Him that is available to every human being. And so if you come to Christ today, There is equal footing and opportunity at the cross for access to our Creator. What a day it'll be when Israel's fully restored with faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah and occupy the land God promised them. We're going to be looking for that when we study end-time events. What a day it'll be when believers who have faithfully served and suffered for Christ will reign with Him, not on earth, But in the new Jerusalem, the place Christ has prepared for us. But the fullness of what God has in store in the end times, that will be the subject of future lessons, Lord willing. But we need to have a foundation upon which to build. And we did that. You quietly stand.